from the Bible and from the first book in the Bible, which is the book of Genesis, and we're up to chapter 21. Now, you've got a couple of options. You can either just listen to me, read the passage, uh, and or you can uh, follow the words on the screen up there, or if you want to borrow a Bible... If you haven't got one of your own, you can raise your hand and someone will give you a Bible and you can have a go at following it in a Bible yourself, in the first book of the Bible. So uh, there's a few hands gone up there. I'm just going to move these because I'm bound to trip over them. So what we've been doing when I've been preaching the last few times is looking at the life of Abraham uh, and we've kind of gone from chapter... 11, the end of chapter 11 in Genesis, and we're up to chapter 21. So we're going to read that passage now, and then I'm going to speak um, on the first seven verses, which say this. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he'd promised. Sarah was Abraham's wife, uh, in case you're not sure. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised him. Abraham gave him the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I've borne him a son in his old age. All right, so we're, we're coming to the end of the life of Abraham or the story of Abraham as it's set out in the Bible. Um, it could well be that you're here visiting this morning. Maybe you're here for the baptism or whatever. It's a bit like you're coming in at the end of a film. You know, and we've been, you've been watching a film the whole time and everyone's been kind of watching it and then you come in and, and it's just at, towards the end and you're like, well, what's, what's going on? Oh, we've got to explain. Well, this happened and this happened and now it's all coming together and, and it's kind of the happy ending. Well, This is coming to the end of the story of Abraham as it's been set out. There is a little twist coming, and the twist comes in chapter 22, um, and you'll have to come back in another week uh, to hear that one. It's kind of the bit after the credits, you know, when you think it's going to be the happy ending, and then it's like, oh no, it's another bit. Um, But here is the birth of of Isaac, the birth of Abraham's son Isaac. And you might think, well, what's so big about a, a son being born? Well, you, you might get a bit of a clue when it says Abraham was a hundred years old when he had him. This story's been going on a long, long, long time. Um, just a bit of a quick recap, the story so far, like they say, you know, at the, at the start of an episode of um, whatever program you might be watching. Dallas, yeah. <laughs> they did. That's a bit of an in-joke if you were here. That last week I was saying how I'm into the revamped Dallas. So previously on Abraham. Um, God had taken an ordinary man, an ordinary bloke, Abraham. Uh, he was called Abram at the time. From Babylon. Uh, from a city of Ur where he was living, uh, which was in, in Babylon. Babylon in the Bible uh, is, is where Babel was, and you might have heard of the Tower of Babel. The Tower of Babel was this tower that, the, that people built, and they said, we want to make a name for ourselves. We want to make something of ourselves. We want to make ourselves great. And so that was the sort of society that he belonged to, the sort of society where people wanted to make something of themselves. Um, 
A bit like our society, really, as well. Much of our society is about making something of ourselves, isn't it? Going to university, getting a good degree, a good education, get a good job, make something of yourself. And uh, so often we like to think that we're in control of our own destinies. That's what uh, the Babylonians wanted to do. They wanted to be in control of their own destinies. They weren't bothered about worshipping any gods or anything like that. It was like, let's make ourselves great. Um, and we can think that too. Uh, in fact, many societies are like that. Jesus looked out on his own society, and he said the people were people were running about, and he, he, he describes them as being uh, harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Um, he was aware people were just running after this thing and that thing, and getting involved in different stuff, wanting to make their life something. But it ended up they were just getting stressed. And they couldn't do what they wanted to do. And they were running headlong into all sorts of trouble. You know, like sheep do. You sometimes see sheep in the countryside. They sort of run into bramble bushes and they get stuck. And then they're over the other side of a ravine. And they don't, you're trying to help them. And um, maybe if you want to help sheep out on, in the countryside, you try to help them and they're running away from you. It's, it's no good. They're stressed. And Jesus said, well, that's what society's like. Society is full of people who are trying to make something of themselves, but they end up just getting stressed and they're helpless and they don't know where to go. And into the middle of all this, God comes and God says, let me lead you. Let me lead you. Let me be your shepherd. And that's what he said to Abraham. He said to Abraham, look, come and walk with me. Come out of this society where you are at. Now, he doesn't call all of us to move house and to move place. But for Abraham, he did. He said, look, walk with me, follow me. And he gave him two promises. Two promises. The first promise was that he would have offspring, children, descendants that would number more than the stars in the sky. He said, look up at the sky. Look at all those stars. Your descendants will be more numerous than all of those. Now that's a big promise because at the time Abraham didn't have any kids at all. He had no descendants at all. And the second promise was that these descendants would inherit a land of their own. He said, come out of the land you're living in and come into this land, this, this land, and this is the land you're going to inherit. At the moment, you're just going to be one bloke. With his, with his group of people, you know, close family and, uh, and, and maybe any servants or slaves that you might have. But you, you're going to come out and you're just going to be wandering in this land on your own. But one day I'm going to give you this land. One day this land is going to be for your whole descendants. And so the Jews, the Jewish race, uh, Judaism, that believe that they are the fulfillment of that promise. They would say that the land is Israel. So there's a big thing politically, isn't there, obviously, with the Jews, that Israel is to be their land. And they believe that they are God's people. They are the descendants of God. Actually, we would say that the promise is much larger than that. The promise isn't just about that specific land. It's greater than that. It was about the land, but now it's greater. It was about the Jewish people, the Israelites, but now it's greater. Now it's about the church, God's people worldwide. Now the promised land is a new heavens and a new earth that we will come into uh, when Jesus returns. More about that a little later.
But these are big promises that God gives to Abraham and Sarah. They've been waiting for 25 years since God had made that promise to them to start off with. They were already old. So Abraham was already 75 when he got that promise. An old guy. You know, and he's like, you're going to have some kids. Really? I am? Your descendants and your, 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 your kids and their kids and they'll, they'll be numerous. I'm 75 years old. And then he has to wait another 25 years. So all in all, he'd have been waiting for kids a lot longer than that. He just wouldn't have thought that was going to happen. Maybe, maybe even 80 years waiting for children. And this, this passage here that we've got to today is when it happens. And none of, none of these other promises could come true without Abraham having a child. Without him having a son, he couldn't have descendants that were numerous as the stars in the sky. Without him having a son, he couldn't come into this land. There wouldn't be that inheritance. Ultimately, when he died, that would be it. End of story, end of his line, end of his people. One man. But now, now comes the son. Now, God gives this son. So verse 1, we see, The Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. And what does it mean by that? The Lord was gracious. God was gracious. Being gracious or grace means getting something that you don't deserve. God gave Abraham and Sarah something that they didn't deserve. Sarah didn't deserve a child. What do you think? Well, what what do you mean she didn't deserve a child? What's she done? Some of you might be thinking, well, surely it's, it's, it's part of, it's part of being human. Everyone deserves a child. Actually, if you struggle to conceive a child, there's, there's other ways that you can try. Well, actually, Sarah, Sarah kind of t- tried to do that. But she got what she didn't deserve. There's a number of things that in the story of Abraham so far, we've seen about Sarah. She's not mentioned much. But when she is mentioned in the book of Genesis, it's not in a great light. She doesn't come across too well. What has she, what's happened so far? Well, in chapter 16, we read that she is getting so frustrated that she's not got a child that she says, I tell you what, Abraham, you go and you go and sleep with my servant, Hagar, my maidservant, Hagar. She's young. She's probably fertile. Um, go and sleep with her. Maybe she'll get pregnant and maybe a child will come about. And that's how we can we can have kids. I'll take the kid. Hagar's only a servant. She doesn't need to keep her. I'll take her. She can become the child of promise. That's how we can work God's promises out. And actually, that's what Abraham went and did. And, and Hagar did have a child called Ishmael. And he comes back in again later on in this, in this chapter, in fact. We'll probably look at that next time uh, when I'm preaching. But he wasn't God's plan. That wasn't God's way. That was just Sarah doing what people do. Try and be in control of her own destiny. Try and work something out themselves. Try to make something of themselves. And so that child Ishmael, actually God did bless Ishmael, but he wasn't the child of promise. He wasn't the child that God had said was going to come. Then, in chapter 18... God comes and visits uh, Sarah and Abraham in the form of angels. And, um, and God speaks to her and says, 
by this time next year, you're going to have a child. She was 89 at this point. Sarah's response at this point wasn't to go, fantastic, thank you God. It was to laugh at God. (laughs) Heard all that one before. My husband's been telling me that for 25 years. And now you're expecting me to believe it. You know, it's not happened so far. And she laughs. She laughs at God. In fact, Abraham had been told the same thing and he laughed kind of, oh, I can't believe that. As if that's going to happen. Surely, surely Ishmael, this other child, surely he can be your promised one, God. Surely he can come into all these promises. I've got a lad now. I am getting a bit on a bit now. And to think of another child, a hundred years old, so they laughed at God. That's not a good thing to do. Not, not wise. Don't laugh at God. She kind of mocked God. And then just before this passage here in, in, I, in Genesis 21, we, we see that Sarah and Abraham come up with this plan. They're a bit scared of their own lives. And they go and they say to the king, Abimelech, we're not, we're not husband and wife at all. We're brother and sister. And so Abimelech takes Sarah into her harem. He nearly sleeps with her. The whole thing nearly comes apart. Abraham's nearly lost his wife anyway. All of the promises of God. Because actually they're wanting to take their own destiny into their own hands. They're wanting to control things themselves. They're wanting to make something of themselves. I'm scared. Actually, we'll do this. This will all work out this way. They weren't following God. So when it says God was gracious to Sarah, it means by this point, Sarah could have, could have totally blown it on any number of occasions. And God could have just said, do you know what? You're clearly not interested in following me. You clearly don't trust me. You're laughing at me when I'm promising you things. You're not believing it really. Are you doubting it? Let's start again with someone else. There's been many years that we've gone so far. Let's, let's just find another family. There's another guy who's going to be a bit better than you are. There's another family who are going to be a bit more faithful to me than you are. God doesn't do that. He doesn't move on and choose someone else. He's gracious to Sarah and Abraham. Gives them what they don't deserve. They have a child. They have the child Isaac. You know, sometimes people talk about well, what, what, sin. People talk about these words, sin, faith. They're kind of Christian words, religious words. What do they mean? The heart of it all is, is what I've just been saying. What sin basically means, the heart of sin, is trusting in ourselves rather than trusting in God. Deciding that we know better. Deciding that we can make something happen because God can't. Because God's impotent. Never mind Abraham being impotent. Actually, it's God who's impotent. It's God who can't do it. God doesn't seem to be doing these things. God doesn't seem to be giving us the life that we want. We've got to go out and take it for ourselves. That's what sin means. Sin means trusting in ourselves, going our own way, rather than going God's way. Faith is the opposite. Faith means actually trusting in God, rather than trusting in ourselves. Faith means we're going to go God's way. Actually, we we might have got some of our ideas of our own, but we know God's spoken, and we're going to follow God, and we're going to trust in him to bring about what he says. And when God's gracious to us, 
When God gives us what we don't deserve, because we should deserve rejection from God, him walking away from us and just saying, do you know what? I can't be bothered with you. You're clearly not a good enough caliber. You're clearly not trusting in me. I'm giving up on you. I'll, I'll get someone else. He doesn't do that. He doesn't reject us. He gives us grace. He's gracious to us. And we get great blessings. And God's blessings to Abraham and Sarah, they come at a time when they're not really walking that closely with God. It's right off the back of these other chapters. It's right off the back of Sarah laughing at God. It's right off the back of them deciding they're going to go off and pretend they're brother and sister and, 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 and fool this king and basically throw away all of the promises. That's when it came. That's what grace is. God's stepping in at a time when we are not doing great. We're not being holy. We're not being Christian. We're not being religious. We're not being moral. Actually, we're just running about trying to make things work in our own way. I don't know if you've watched the film Les Miserables or seen the musical or maybe if you're very intellectual, read the book. <laughs> Probably not many have read the book. <laughs> I would think quite a few have watched the film. But Les Miserables is, is about this guy. It's about lots of things. But the, the key character in it is this guy called Jean Valjean. He's not a bad guy to start off with. He finds himself in prison at the start of the film. He's in prison because his family are hungry. And he's stolen some bread. Now you might think, okay, he's broken the law. But he's kind of saying, well, look, my family were hungry. What am I supposed to do? So he does that. He's kind of a decent guy at his heart. But he has to pay the punishment. And he's been in prison for years. And then he finally gets released on parole. By this point, his heart has gone hard. He's just thinking, I can't believe I've had to, I've had to suffer for so many years. Do you know what? I'm, I'm just going to make my own way in life. And he goes to the house of this priest. And this priest puts him up for the night and gives him some food. And he's wrestling with this stuff inside him, Jean Valjean. I don't know, this guy's being nice to me, but I, I've learned in my life, I've just got to make my own way. So what he does, when, the, when everyone's asleep, he goes downstairs and he steals all the silver. Because he says, I'm going to make a life for myself. I'm going to make something of myself. And I'm going to get it by using this silver. And he takes a couple of candlesticks. And he flees. But the police catch him. And they call the, the priest in to say, look, this guy has stolen. He's headed back to prison. He's headed back for a lifetime in prison. Because he's wanting to just work it out himself. And he's got more and more into, into, into crime and just selfishness because his heart has hardened. And this priest comes and the, and the, and the police say, he says that you gave him these candlesticks, but clearly you didn't do that. And the priest says, actually, yeah, yeah, I did. And, and you forgot to take the best. Here, have this as well. And he gives him a load more silver. He gives him grace. He doesn't give him what he deserves. And that event turns around Jean Valjean's life. He gives his whole life to God from that point. He's going to follow God. Because God, through this priest, has shown him grace. He's not got the punishment he deserves. He's not even just been allowed to take those candlesticks. 
it's like, have so much more as well. And that's what it's like for God to be gracious to us. He gives us so much more than we deserve. He always does. And he's faithful to his promises. He's faithful to his promises. You might think, well, okay, God's faithful to his promises. He said he was going to have a child, but he took his time, didn't he? You know, I mean, this guy was old by the time he had a child. Why promise him at age 75? Why give him fresh hope at age 75 and not deliver until he's a 100 years old? It's no, it's not, it's not unreasonable that he's going to think it's not going to happen. But Moses, in writing this book of Genesis, says, wants to tell us, God is trustworthy. God is faithful. He says in these first two verses, the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. And he had a son at the very time God had promised him. He's stressing, God is dependable. God is trustworthy. What God says he's going to do, he is going to do. And we can easily think, God isn't going to do what he says he's going to do. We can read other things in the Bible where God says he's going to do things and think, doesn't look like he's going to do that. I, I don't think he is. For example, God says that Jesus is going to return. Jesus is going to return and judge the world. And we can think, nah, he's not going to do that. Just look around us. Clearly God's not going to do that. Jesus, 2,000 years later, he's going to come back 2,000 years later. Well, in 2 Peter chapter 3, we read Peter's just encouraging us not to think in that way. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 3, he says this, First of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They'll say, oh, where is this coming, he promised? Where is this coming that he promised? Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. In other words, it's not going to happen. There's going to be people who say that. Everything's just carrying on. But in verse 8, Peter goes on and, and says, But don't forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years. And a thousand years are like a day. The Lord isn't slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He's patient with you. He's not wanting anyone to perish. He wants everyone to come to repentance. God will come back, Peter's saying, to judge the world. He will come back and there will be punishment for sin, for rebellion against God, for turning your own way. He said, don't think it's not going to happen. God's not being slow. Actually, he's giving people time to repent. What does that mean? It means actually to turn from sin to faith. To turn from yourself to God. He's giving people time. But don't, don't be fooled. It will happen. God's timing is right. God does things at the right time. In Romans, the book of Romans, which was written by uh, a man called Paul, he says this about Jesus in Romans chapter 5 and verse 6. You see, just at the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. And he goes on in verse 8 to say, 
God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God's timing's just right. God doesn't wait for us to get things sorted ourselves in our life. God doesn't wait for us to realize, do you know, us trying to do this, it's not working out. Us trying to make something of ourselves, us trying to achieve something in our lives, us trying to get away from this stress and this worry and this anxiety of trying to perform, it's not working. He doesn't wait for that. He died for us before then. He died for us before we ever decided to turn back to God. And what happened when he died for us? Well, he exchanged what we deserved for what he deserved. He was perfect. He'd never lived a life just trying to work things out for himself. He'd never lived a life just on his own agenda. His agenda had always been doing what his father, his heavenly father said. Not my will, God, your will. All the time he says, I'm here to do the will of my father. Actually, we're here just to do what we feel we want to do most of the time. Live our own lives. It's our life. Going to live it my way. Jesus didn't do that. Our way, God says, there's punishment going to come. There's judgment coming. That day will come. Even if it's after we've died, we will be raised again, it says. The Bible says, and we will be judged. And then our eternal destiny will rest on the verdict that is given. But we're going to be judged. And the, and the Bible says, actually, for sin, there is a punishment. Jesus had never sinned. He'd never gone his own way. He'd never done things his way. And when he died on the cross, he not only suffered the pain of the nails and the crucifixion and the suffocation and all that went with that, He was separated from God for the first time ever. He said, my God, why have you forsaken me? He didn't know that relationship with God. He faced punishment, not for what he'd done from God, not just from the Romans, but for what we have done. He took our punishment. He took our separation from God. Why? So that he could give us his acceptance by God, his relationship with God. He swapped it. He's exchanged it. We can come and say, God, I believe you did that. I believe you died for me. I believe like Emily came to realize, actually, it's not about me living life my way. It's about me living my life God's way. I did deserve punishment. Jesus took it. And, and he didn't just say, you're not going to get punished. He gave us more. He gave us grace. He poured out blessings on us. He said, you're going to have so much more in your life. And you're going to have an eternity with me. And I've adopted you into my family. And you'll have peace in your hearts. And you won't have anxiety anymore. And you'll know that you've got a future. That was what the grace of God does to us. God was gracious to Sarah and did what he promised. And God will be gracious to us too and do what he's promised us. That's there for us. And you see, Abraham, he responds to the grace of God. It says uh, in verse 3, Abraham gave him the name Isaac. 
to the son Sarah bore him. And when Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God had commanded him. So God had said, I'm going to give you this son. When I give you this son, you to name him Isaac. Isaac means laughter. Um, and you're to circumcise him. I won't go into all, all that means, but most people probably know uh, what that means. It's it, it, not the most thrilling thing ever to happen to you. Um, but that's what God said to do. And it was a sign of being part of God's people. Uh, being being made into God's people. We have baptism instead. So, you know, all the better. (laughs) But Abraham responds to the grace of God. And that's important to realize. God does something first. He initiates something. We respond. God gives us grace. We respond to that. Jesus died for us while we were still sinners. We respond to that action on behalf of God. God didn't say, come on, pull your socks up, get your act sorted out, make yourself better, live a better life, live a more holy life, live a perfect life, and then I will come and pour my blessings out on you. He didn't do that. He said, look, I'm giving you this while you're still sinners. You've not changed. And then our response is to follow God. First of all, it's just to accept that. That's our first response, to accept it. I believe it. I'm trusting in you. I'm trusting in you, God, for my goodness and my acceptance before the Father, not not my own. And then I'm going to follow you. I'm going to give my life to following you all my days. That's what Abraham had decided to do. That's what he's circumcising Isaac to say. He's saying, look, I'm, I'm dedicating myself to bringing my son up to follow God as well. God acts, we respond. 2 Peter and uh, chapter 1, verse 3, says this. His divine power, God's divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own great glory and goodness. Through these, he's given us his very great and precious promises. So you might participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. What's it saying? It's saying you don't have to do it in your own strength. You don't have to make something of yourself. God's divine power has given us everything we need for life. He's given us the tools. He's given us everything we would need to be able to live our lives in a right way following him. We don't have to do it before God gives us that. He's not saying make something up yourself. He's saying here is what you need. He's already acted. And Abraham has realized that. And so what he does in following God is a response to God. It's not that we have to make ourselves perfect. And what about Sarah then? Sarah says, God has brought me laughter. That's quite funny, isn't it? She's been laughing already. In fact, when God says, you're going to name this child Isaac, she could have just thought, oh, yeah, rub it in, why don't you, God? Because Abraham had laughed cynically about it, and Sarah had laughed kind of mockingly. 
that God had said that. And so it's like, okay, she could have read it as, I'm going to call this child Isaac, laughter. It's just going to remind me of my unbelief, my disbelief in God. Oh, yeah, okay, I, I know, I didn't get it right. Oh. Every time I see him, I'll know it will remind me of that. Actually, that's not what God has done. God has brought Sarah laughter. She's laughing in a different way now. She's laughing with joy. She's kind of, I can't believe it. I'm 90 years old and I've just had a baby. That is hilarious. You know, I think if you were 90 years old and had a baby, you'd find it hilarious. Maybe some of you have got 90-year-old grandparents. If they suddenly said to you, do you know what? I've just had a baby. You'd go, what? What are you talking about? I know. I can't believe it. It just popped out now. <laughs> She's not had children. She thought she was going to die and never have a child. She thought the best that was going to come was this child from Hagar, her servant. And there's all sorts of bitterness going on in her about that. And actually, we'll see that later on next time. She thought she was never going to have a child of her own. And God's given her one. And, and she's so full of joy. She's saying, I can't believe it. Everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. Yeah, of course they would. Sarah's had a child. What? I thought she was just putting on a bit of weight. She was eating too many of those cakes. No. She's born a son. Who would have said that? Who would have thought it, in other words? Who would have said that Ab- to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yeah, I've bought, born him a son in my old age. Who'd have thought that that would ever happen? And maybe in our lives too, there will be things that people will look at us and say, who'd have ever thought that would happen? Who'd have ever thought it of that person? Who'd have thought you would be even worshipping God? I thought you were, I thought you were really cynical and negative about God. Who'd have thought you would love God? Would be worshipping God? Unbelievable. Unbelievable. I think there's many people here today who've known God who could look back at their lives and say that. (laughs) Who'd have ever thought that? Of the people who knew me before, who'd have thought? Maybe even if we've been in the church for a while, we can just get used to how people are. And And we sometimes don't even realize what people were like beforehand. And you think, wow, they were like that. I've actually asked, asked Steve to come up. Uh, Steve Wiley is, has been a member of our church for, for a number of years now. Some of us will have heard his story, but he's probably not told it for quite a while. But I think it's just good to remind ourselves. And I've asked him to very briefly just explain where he came from, what he was like, and what God did in his life. Because it's worth reminding ourselves. Who'd have thought it? Steve, do you just want to come up? And uh, Have we got a microphone here? Yep, let's go. Wherever you want, wherever you come to a floor. Good morning. Uh, My story, uh, like all good stories, starts uh, in a crisp factory in Scunthorpe. Um, (laughs) And that's that's where I first encountered uh, the God which Sarah, Mark, was talking about, scoffed at. Uh, Because up until that time, 
I wasn't the Antichrist, but I didn't have any time for Christians or God. And um, I'd explore various options to try and make yourselves happy, as of course you would do, because it's a pleasure-seeking life that we have. Um, I went to uni, and if there's people here at uni, though you'll probably be told that uni is the best thing you can ever do, so you go to that. So you go there thinking it's going to be the best thing. And when you finish uni, there'll be people around you that will say, what you need to do is travel the world. That's the best thing you need to do. I got to my, I lived the university life in its fullness, and if you've been there or you know there, you know the pleasure options open to you, so I won't go into details, but I embraced them all. And at the end of it, I decided to go traveling. In order to go traveling, you need cash. I ended up in a factory packing crisps for Golden Wonder doing 12-hour night shifts. Now, I was a bit of an angry, uh, skeptical, cynical young man at that time. My family uh, had separated, my parents got divorced, and it was a bit nasty. So I was a bit depressed, and... Um, found myself in a low spot and wasn't particularly open to hearing anything about God or Christianity. But it was in this factory that I learned the first thing about God is that he had a sense of humor. Because uh, on this, these 12-hour night shifts, just sat at a production factory with salt and vinegar and cheese and onion and ready salt, passing by for 12 hours. You're stuck on a line and you can't move. And so on the first day, I was on the, the production line and right next to me, uh, was an old woman in her late 60s, early 70s. And of course you pass the time and you say, who are you, what are you doing, etc., etc. And so I said, all right, how are you doing? I'm Steve, you know, I'm saving money to go abroad. She says, oh, hello, I'm Anne, and I'm saving money to go to Africa to preach uh, to, Christian, to preach to the Africans about Jesus. And I looked over and I thought, flipping it, this is going to be a long 12 hours. <laughs> it wasn't a long 12 hours, it was a long three months. And so I actually... Um, took the opportunity to verbally abuse and get out all of my angst about Christianity and God and what you're talking about God. You've got to be joking. There's a God in this world. And look at the state of the earth and look at the state of this. And so this poor woman received all of my like verbal outbursts for hours and hours and hours because I was just so angry that she would be saying that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And Jesus loves you and the Father loves you. And, you know, yes, there's sin in your life and Jesus wants to take all that. And there's a new hope for you. I just thought, what an absolute joke. What an absolute joke. So it got to the point where I was saying to her, look, you know, enough of this uh, Jesus stuff, right? Bottom line is, if God exists, then prove it, right? You give me proof and I'll, and I'll believe it, right? And then she says, okay, fine, right? And so she went away and she prayed and she came back and said, God says he's going to answer your prayers and he'll to show you graciously that he loves you. And I said, great, I'll have the six lottery numbers for next week. And then if they come up, then I'll believe it. And she said, well, that's not exactly how God works. So I went away and thought about it. And I thought, right, well, do you know what? At that time, my family had been divorced, um, had been separated, and we'd broken up all over the country. And the house, we were trying to sell our house, which was in Lincolnshire, and it was on the market for six years. And we dropped the price by 20 grand. My mum was quite depressed because she was living in the house on her own and wanted to go back to Glasgow. And so I said to her, I said, all right, fine. If God is who you say he is, if he cares, if he loves, and if he knows what's happening in my life, I want you to ask God to sell my house because then my mum can go back to Glasgow and then I will see that God's actually doing something. And she went away and she prayed and she said, God will sell your house. I said, of course, my house is going to sell. And when it sells, you'll say, oh, God sold it. I was like, that's rubbish. You need to tell me that the exact date that God is going to sell my house and then we'll talk. And she said, well, that's a bit more difficult. And I was like, difficult? You're trying to tell me the God that you're just telling me about can't do difficult? She went away, she prayed, she came back, and she said, God is going to sell your house on the 20th of October. Now, two weeks later, I never saw her again. She left the company, and I don't know where she went or what happened. But on the 20th of October, somebody walked up our drive and bought our house after six years sitting on the market. And it made me stop and think. And you think, hang on a minute, after everything you've just been through, surely you think, oh, amazing. 
Actually, I just dismissed it all as a total coincidence. But years later, came to the point of remembering something she kept on consistently saying was that, what have you got to lose? I'd tried uni. I'd tried traveling around the world. I tried all the various pleasures you can tap into. And she said, look, you're getting nowhere. What have you got to lose? So I did come to the point eventually of starting to pray to this God that was out there and began to see God answer more and more prayers that just made me stop and think, flipping heck, what on earth is going on here? I'm a little bit freaked out. Eventually I came to this church, did an alpha course, which is 10 weeks, just exploring Christianity, learning more about who God is. And yeah, as Mark says, my life is completely turned around. My university mates don't even know who I am these days because I'm totally different. No longer aggressive, no longer abusive, no longer into all the stuff I used to be. Because I can quite clearly and honestly stand here and say, God's changed my life. He's absolutely turned me around from that cynical Sarah scoffing at God, laughing, thinking, what an absolute joke. And I can now stand here with everybody else, raising my hands, praising God and just saying, Jesus is amazing. Mm. Absolutely amazing. Mm. And so if you're here today, if you're at uni, if you're thinking, oh, you know, there's lots of pleasures I can embrace, then I'll just say to you, like this woman said to me, what have you got to lose about exploring Christianity? God's amazing. Mm. Thanks. God, God's gracious. <laughs> you know, Steve had been abusing this woman verbally for months and months. And God could have just said, do you know what? She's my child. Get out of it. No. He wants to show grace. He sells the house on the day, on the day he said he's going to do it. It's not slow in keeping his promises. Just the right time. And he he kept hold of Steve. And Steve's just one example. And there's many others we could have looked at. Because that's what God does. And so I, I would just encourage us today, whether we know God or not, sometimes, you know, it's it's easy to get cynical about God's promises. It's easy to hear or read about God's promises for us and just think, yeah, yeah, that doesn't look like it's going to be happening. Jesus is going to return one day. Pull the other one. God wants to show love to me. Doesn't look like it in my life at the moment. Actually, he does. He does. You might have been looking to just sort things out yourself because you thought God was never going to answer. Years and years and years maybe. God's never going to answer that. I need, I need to take control. I need to control my own destiny. Do you know what? We can't. The Bible says we're like sheep. We're running about from one thing to another. Harassed, helpless, stressed. We need a shepherd. We're sheep. We need a shepherd. Jesus is the good shepherd. He'll be your shepherd. The Bible talks about stories of sheep who run off and, 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 and Jesus says, you know, the shepherd leaves loads of other sheep, leaves the whole flock and goes and rescues the one. He's bothered about you. He's bothered about you. He doesn't want you to just have to live up and make things happen yourself. Carve out your own destiny. Live up to your own expectations. Live up to the expectations that others might have of you. God has got grace for you. He won't just give you what you deserve. He'll give you much more 
much, much more. Today, God is offering peace, hope, security. All the things that we long for, all the things that we look for elsewhere, we'll find them in him. That's the only place we'll find them in him. You can find them here today. Let's pray.